Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, what's going on, Giants and Jets fans? Welcome to the latest episode of our Talk is Cheap, Giants and Jets podcast from NJ Advanced Media. The Star Ledger and NJ.com. It is uh, Thursday morning, February the 22nd right now. We have not done one of these uh, in a little while here. January 11th looks like was the last time we talked to you guys. And so obviously a lot has happened since then with both the Jets and the Giants and uh, a lot to look forward to as well. With the Combine coming up next week and then free agency after that, of course, the Combine starting basically next Monday, Tuesday, and then free agency getting going uh March 11th, but, you know, a lot of agents and execs will be talking at the combine to gauge value for free agency, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So uh, a bunch to touch on with the Giants and Jets. And we welcome in, as always, Andy Vasquez, our Jets writer. How you doing, Andy? How you doing? Hey, there, Daryl. How are you? All right. Um, yeah. So I guess we can kind of start with where we where we jumped off at last time. And so last we talked... Wink Martindale had was gone as the Giants defensive coordinator. And so obviously the Jets and Giants both had a little bit of change in their or a lot bit of change in their coaching staffs. Um, you know, we don't need to go through every hire they made. Um, but the big one for the for the Giants, of course, was defensive coordinator. Took a while, but they they didn't get their first choice, Denard Wilson, who wound up going to Tennessee to be the DC, which was the job held by Shane Bowen. Um, so now Bowen comes in to the Giants, doesn't blitz as much as Wink Martindale. No one really does. And let's see if he can make things work with Brian Dable. But that's the biggest of, of between the two staffs and all the turnover they had. The, the DC hire for the Giants, considering this could be a you know this will be a hot seat year for Dable, um, definitely the biggest biggest move by far. Um, and they got to make it work. That's the bottom line. Um, we've we've read a lot since the the last time we talked and we did this a month and eleven days ago about the volcanic nature of just Brian Dable's interactions with his staff, um, the unhappiness and tension in his staff because of the way Dable acts. And so we'll, we'll see if he tones that down this year. And if not, how guys like Bowen and other new hires can handle that, um, that demeanor and that dynamic. And uh, you'd think he'd back off it at least a little bit because Clearly that that didn't work great and and they only really kept Mike Kafka because they blocked him from interviewing for Seattle's OC job. And the reality remains Brian Dable could call the plays this year. So uh, Dable is in the typical mode of a coach who's going into a hot seat here, uh, making changes in terms of his staff, big time changes. And then, of course, uh like I would guess, like work deployment changes in terms of who calls the plays. That, that's a huge one. 
So what what do you make of all that? And uh, I'll let you touch it on the on the Jets as well in terms of where they are with their staff. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely interesting to see you know how these two different coaching staffs. You know, obviously the Giants have had at least some success with with Dable going to the playoffs two years ago, um, and they were they were the staff, of course, that were we knew was going to be having the shakeups going into this offseason. While the Jets said they're going to stand pad, and it turned out they didn't stand pad. They've they've made a number of moves with a new wide receivers coach, new running back running backs coach. Um, you know, the guy who was listed as their quarterbacks coach leaving, although. You know, I don't. I don't think he's going to be replaced because Todd Downing really uh, takes care of that. Uh, ultimately, the Jets. There, there is. It's probably a good sign that the Jets are making all these changes, especially on offense, because of of the issues they had. But you know, watching Dable from afar, it is interesting to see. You know how these guys have to adjust and, and deal with the perceptions that come when you have a bad season and. You know, the guys who get it right are the guys who have success in this league. You know, Belichick coming back from his mistakes in Cleveland and, and building what he built in New England is is the, the best example of that. Not on the on the same you know, wavelength with you know changing teams and all that, but it's it's the same type of thing that these guys in this era have to do on a much more accelerated basis because if Dable, if this blows up in Dable's face, there's a good chance he won't get another chance. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how he adjusts and, and if it's going to change. I'll be interested to see also if it changes kind of the way Dable interacts with, with the media and you guys. If, if maybe he changes that as well, heading into, you know, what is obviously a critical year for him. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how coaches evolve. Obviously, Robert Sala has undergone an evolution for big you know this guy who had an amazingly long honeymoon and was really liked by the the fan base to where it's not like that at all right now and many in his fan base consider him to be you know a huge liability and he's under fire and, and how is that going to change his persona and we've already seen kind of some of it you know in reports and, and the way he interacts with us in terms of a different side of him that's not so uh, positive so it's how these guys manage that you know, we act like it's not a big deal because what does it matter what they're saying to us, right? But it actually, you know, it matters because perception does matter in this business. And, and it's going to be very interesting to see how these guys, you know, make sure that they have the right guys in place for their team and, and also are on the same page message-wise going into the season because they both of them have a lot at stake this season and, and they have to get it right because there is no you know, safety net. They have to get it right. They're both very much on the hot seat. Um, and, of course, perce- you mentioned perception matters, especially with the Jets owner, Woody Johnson, who's particularly sensitive to how the team is portrayed and is, uh, you know, every little needle-moving thing uh, is something that registers with him, which, for good or worse, which generally I would say not not good to kind of be that way as an owner. But um, so, yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of the – this is a lot of parallels here with, with Dable and Sala in terms of a lot of their leadership flaws are coming out like with, with Dable, of course, just his unhinged behavior. Now he didn't lose the locker room, but I, you know, it's pretty clear he lost a a good portion of his coaching staff uh, in terms of them, you know, wanting to work for this guy anymore. And 
also like with Salah, you know, just his, just almost para, his paranoia about a lot of these things and focusing on things that don't actually matter. Um, and then of course you have the offensive performance or lack thereof with Dable, it kind of it really comes back to him uh, because he is the guy running the offense, even, you know, regardless of who's calling the plays, it's his offense. And with Salah, it's the uh, decision to go and hire Nathaniel Hackett, who has done nothing to show he can be competent um, and hire him because he's Rogers, Aaron Rodgers' buddy. And so that that's both these coaches are dealing with questions, certainly about their ability to handle an offense and mold an offense for a couple different reasons, because obviously Salah is a defensive minded coach. And then the questions about their leadership capabilities, um, not exactly for the same reason there either with the two coaches, but just, um, you know, what, what is the confidence level on these guys? I think it's, it's, it's pretty low right now, honestly. Um, you really thought like going into last season, obviously Sal had his flaws. They had Rogers. I, I would guess if you ask most jet fans like mid August last year, what's your confidence level in Robert Sala and also in Brian Dable for giants fans, they would say like, yeah, sure. Like either give the guy a chance or I feel optimistic or like, oh, I really think we got the right one in Brian Dable. But now it's really swung the other way, I feel like. Yeah, I, I will say I've been highly critical of Salah, but he's in he was already in a tough position because, you know, you're bringing in Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers was so disgruntled in, in Green Bay by the end that it's clear. I understand like the Jets had to kind of for it to work, they have to cater to his needs a bit. Salah went over the top and catering to his needs. And this is now why he's kind of in a, a perilous position leadership wise. When you do that and you make all these moves for one guy and then the guy gets hurt on the fourth play of the season, like they've, they, from there, when you don't adjust, when everything you still do is to cater to the guy who's not playing anymore for that year, it's how do you keep the locker room together? And that's what the Jets have done. Like basically, like we're like, okay, well, we'll see you next year. And the players in the locker room know that. Uh, the, the fans know that. And it's frustrating for everybody involved. And it, it reduces any kind of credibility you have as a leader when you're telling that we're going to do what's for the best of the team in the situation. Like they didn't do the things that were best for the team last year. And they burned a year of these guys, a lot of these guys prime or, or and hurt themselves in the process because you know, all these guys are another year closer to getting paid. So which is going to make it harder to keep them together and, and, and build a contender. So I think that's a lot of where Salah lost it. And then, you know, when, when a coach is so focused, it, it was really transparent at a certain point midway through the season that his priority was keeping his job for the next year above all else. Again, players notice that, and you know, they may, it may not be like he lost the whole locker room, but you know, the, everything being geared towards Rodgers is going to annoy these guys to a certain extent at some point, even if they know that having Rodgers back this year is their best chance at, at becoming a contender. I think that gives them some freedom in terms of if he stays healthy and it goes well, you you can he can recover from this Salah, and, and that's why even. As critical as I've been of him, I think it was the right move to bring him back just because of the Jets' very unique situation. But yeah, Salah also needs to realize, I think, and I think this will help him a ton if he can realize it, that the situation he's in. And and he, him and both Joe Douglas, they, they went through 
so much of this year, like basically acting like how how dare you criticize us? And they are in a situation where all, almost nobody gets a shot in the NFL after being as bad as they were to continue their job. So they, they should be criticized. They should accept the criticism. They should feel lucky to have their jobs and have this opportunity to do it one more time and, and act accordingly. Will they? I mean, I think we saw some signs of that from Joe Douglas at the end of the season. It'll be interesting to see what he says next week at the combine. But I think Salah is, he's always been a guy who's kind of, you know, you see him on the sideline in San Francisco. You saw him doing that stuff as a jet and you see him get upset sometimes. He's a guy who, you know, runs on emotion. And I think he's mad that, that, you know, the, the way he's being perceived and how he manages that and his emotions this year um, is going to be key to being successful because you got to make the decision, the right decision, not the decisions because, you know, you're upset or whatever. Like it, it's going to be a really interesting balance because I don't think he handled that super great at the end of last year. And he's obviously things have gotten worse for him since then. You're talking about two first time head coaches here, of course, when they got the jobs and Salah entering year uh, four and Dable entering year three. And so I think that the, the, another parallel here is these two guys need to kind of have some, you know, it's a hard job. It's, you know, I get it. So emotional maturity and just emotional adjustments, right? So uh, Dable needs to to figure out like, okay, maybe I can't talk to people on my staff the way I have been, right? And and Salah needs to figure out, okay, maybe I need to 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 turn my focus into taking, you know, not some things not so personally, and and tuning out what what really should be noise, um, yep. even though it's hard to do. Um, so adjustments, as you mentioned, with Bill Belichick being a great example, and, and, lead, and leaders in all sorts of different areas, like in everything in life, you know, adjustments is adjustment. Being able to adjust is critical. Like you got to, you got, you can't just be stuck in your ways, especially when your ways aren't working. Um, you'd be able to have the ability to reflect on what's working and what's not. And to make the changes accordingly and the best leaders and the best coaches, whatever, are able to do that. And the guys who can't do it, they don't last. And so these guys need to have a moment or moments of like serious self-reflection. Like is what I'm doing working? And, and if not, and certainly it's not in a lot of ways, like how do I, like, am I willing to to change it and go outside my comfort zone a little bit um, and, and change the way I operate? Because if not, you know, you're, you're gone <laughs> and you don't necessarily get another chance because you're talking about in, in Salah, like I, I, you know, as a defensive minded coach, I guess he'd be, you know, he just turned 45. So, you know, he's not old. I mean, with Dable, obviously offensive minded coach to get another chance. Usually he's about to turn 49. I don't know. I mean, I, we'll, we'll see if either of these guys ever gets another chance if things don't work out. But um, the bottom line is their chances are, running out with their current teams yeah. if they don't find a way to adjust. And, you know, you kind of alluded to it and we can kind of, we can transition a little bit here to the combine. Um, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what they say. Well, Robert Sala, as usual, he is not going to the combine. The Jets under him have not um, recently sent their coaching staff to the combine. They let it be a scouting thing for the scouting side and the front office. Um, from what, you know, I understand like Brian Dable probably will be there, but he is not, He's taking a page out of the, <clears throat> excuse me, out of the Bill Belichick book, and uh, he's not talking at the combine. Uh, I can't remember if he did last year or not, but um, yeah. So there you go. You're talking about the two coaches in the NFL who have had the most 
um, I guess, incendiary things written about them, reported about them over the last month plus since the season ended are just dodging um, an opportunity to address any of those things at the combine. They will, as they have to talk at the owners meetings in late March in Orlando. Um, so there's no dodging that. And I'm sure they'll be asked about all this stuff then and they'll try to turn the focus to, hey, we signed this guy in free agency. But um, yeah, so much for them standing up and, and I guess if they don't have to, why would they uh, answer those questions at the combat? But in terms of the GMs, uh, you'll be at the combine. I'm, I'm not going to be there. Um, but Joe Shane, the Giants, Joe Shane will talk on Tuesday morning at the combine and Joe Douglas of the Jets will talk Wednesday morning, right? Wednesday at noon, Wednesday at noon. So that you'll hear for about 15 minutes. I don't know if either of those will be particularly illuminating, but, uh, uh, as usual, you know, at the combine, those, those things are what they are. Um, but in terms of the Jets checklist for the combine, uh, in terms of, I would guess, let's just say like player draft prospect evaluation, and also like the free agency angle with their own guys and maybe other guys, but more so their own guys. Uh, just give me what you think is Douglas's checklist for, for the, his trip to Indy next week. Well, I think, you know, we, we all know that free agency kind of really starts next week at the combine where you know, GMs and, and, and agents are in the same place. And while technically it's not, you're not supposed to really get the gears turning on that stuff, but before the free agency window opens in a couple of weeks, there's a reason that these deals a lot of times are agreed to the moment the window opens because because there are some there's some back channeling going on. So I think that's where this week is the most important for Douglas because he has to have a good free agency. They can't they have a, a the tenth overall pick and I think they don't pick again until midway through day two. So in terms of talking about this will be where he starts talking about a potential trade down to, to give himself maybe you know, something more like a, a late first round pick, a second round pick and that third round pick. That's going to be important. And, and obviously starting to kick the tires on their most obvious needs, which are wide receiver, offensive line and backup quarterback. And the, the, the free agency, I think will be, it's ironic. Or I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's, it's interesting because everybody focuses on the prospects at the combine, but this, it's really about, you know, kind of free agency too. And for the, for the jets, I feel like they have to add a, a proven wide receiver and free agency, especially with this wide receiver draft. I mean, it's, it's deep, but like the, the big time playmakers like neighbors and Harrison jr. At the top of the draft, they're not going to be there for the jets to 10. So they can't go to the draft expecting to get a receiver. Who's going to be a, a stud on day one. They have to find that in free agency. And then I think also attack one of their offensive line needs in, in free agency as well, guard or tackle. I would say, you know, focus on guard because it's cheaper and then money is a little bit of a problem. And then once you get to the draft, maybe that 10 pick is for a tackle. But those are all the things that they're going to be talking about, evaluating the prospects and what they think are the deeper positions and as they get ready to set their draft board. But before you can really set your draft board fully, you you got to go through free agency, and that's that's coming up in in less than three weeks from now, and it'll be two weeks once we get to the combine, and I think that's where the Jets have to you know really start to solidify their plan for how they're going to tackle this because this isn't there is no 
you know, waiting now. They they have to. Woody Johnson said it at the Super Bowl, seven wins isn't good enough. It's time to win. He's not going to say straight up they need to make the playoffs, but that's what he means. Like, they need to make the playoffs. They have the talent, and and they need to be aggressive. And I expect Joe Douglas to – obviously, in the past, he's even said, like, we'll be aggressive, but then he isn't. But, like, kind of has to go all in this year. So or never. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what – basically issued a playoff mandate. That's the same. I mean, you read, but it's not hard to read between the lines there, what he said. And and in terms of the draft, we'll, we'll touch, we'll do another one of these in about a month. We'll preview the owners meetings at that point. Free agency will be kind of wrapped up and we can have a better idea of the team's draft needs. We'll get into some giants draft stuff in a little bit here, but um, so in terms of the timeline, of course, next week, the combine, as you mentioned, the effective start of free agency really for the giants and um, free agency, the deadline for the exclusive negotiating window um, is is a, essentially next week. Then it's March 5th because that's the, the end of the two-week franchise tag, transition tag window, which applies to Saquon Barkley, Xavier McKinney, who could be transition tagged more likely for McKinney. Um, I, I don't think either of those guys get tagged. Maybe the tr- transition tag for McKinney, which is, I think, $2.2 million cheaper than the franchise tag and less binding. Um, but March 5th is the end of the window, and that's really when the exclusive – exclusive negotiating window closes. I know, you know, the, the, the negotiating window opens March 11th and the official signing period, March 13th, but it's really a March five deadline. Um, and really next week. Um, so I, I think that it's entirely possible the giants will lose Barkley and Xavier McKinney, even though McKinney is certainly more worth retaining, um, with the transition tag, all the team has to do is basically offer more than the tag and the giants, decide like, no, we don't want to keep him and you get no compensation. So it's pretty, it's a pretty flimsy way to attempt to keep a guy while, you know, you can gauge his market value, but I think Tyrod Taylor and Dory Jackson, the Giants, other two most notable in-house free agents, they're probably gone. Um, so that, that would leave certainly the other cornerback spot is something the Giants have to address and probably free agency. They're not going to draft a cornerback high. They've got to go get a they got to go get a playmaker, obviously, um, in terms of receiver, because it's not like Darren Waller and Press last year is, you know, the number one target in, in in the passing game. I think obviously edge rushers are concerned because of Aziz Ojolari's durability issues, and and obviously as we've mentioned a million times on here, three of the five O line positions are either are major concerns, right? So who are the guards going to be, and, and is Evan Neal can can he be relied on as a as a right tackle, or do you do you slide him inside? Um, to guard or whatever, or just going to start them. So anyway, that's sort of where like a thumbnail sketch of, of what they have to, um, what they have to do. The giants at the combine, the biggest one of course is Joe Shane talking to Saquon Barkley's representatives and figuring out like, okay, what's the plan here? What, what, what's the offer going to be? I think the only way they keep Barkley is, and and he's the, the, the main guy. So we can focus the most on him here is if they tag him. And they're not going to tag him for 12-2 or 12-1, I guess, which is a $2 million increase on last year. They're not going to do it. Just it, I understand they could create more cap space uh, by restructuring like Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas. So 12 isn't as crippling as a, of a number as it would be with their quote-unquote current cap number, uh, cap space number. Um, but I just don't see it. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. He's entering year seven. Uh, he's had durability issues. The Giants are not a win now team. So, be, giving significant money to a guy like a running back like him is something a win now team does. And um, honestly, like they should be trying to start over with a quarter young quarterback and not paying um, Barkley. And so, if if he do, like 
the whole notion that he would go to, that they would not tag him and then he would go to the quote unquote open market and then he would come back and sign with the Giants. That is not happening. Okay. Like so there's 31 other teams out there, many of which are in more of a win now position than the Giants. Someone's going to be willing to give him a contract, you know, and and go quote unquote all in or more all in than the Giants than the Giants are, right? It's it's the odds are just so against the Giants retaining him if they don't tag him. He he's going to go maximize the value as he should. And someone's going to exceed what Shane is willing to pay, right? Because they're in another team's in a different position. Like, would, wouldn't, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just like, I think we talked about it last time. It, it's, it's not a knock on Barkley. It's just where the giants are and their needs. It doesn't make sense to pay him. Um, and you know, that's, that's tough. And it goes back to the decision that was made in 2018 to, to, draft a, a running back number two overall just when you know you don't have the pieces around him to to contend right away it, it makes it hard to justify uh, and uh, you know i think the jets they some people criticize them for for picking trading up to to get Brees hall but remember that was their fourth pick of that draft in in 2022 and and they had filled actually successfully filled three needs before that because the, all three of those picks have ended up being good players. So if you're going to take a, a running back early, you either have to have all these picks loaded up or, or have the team around them already to do it. Uh, it can't be your first priority in a draft when you're, when you're a team where the giants were at that point. So um I mean, we both feel the same way about that and talked about it before, but just just going back to that. And then, you know, I I didn't answer your question about the Jets, you know, in-house guys. There's not many, honestly. They don't have a ton of pending free agents who are move-the-needle guys. The two guys that are mostly going to be talked about are Bryce Huff, the edge rusher, the homegrown edge rusher, undrafted free agent, who has become one of the the best, you know, third-down guys in the league. And has made it clear that he's going to seek his maximum value. And given the Jets' other needs and given their depth at the edge rushing position, it, I just don't see any way he's back. I mean, if if they could somehow – if it was $15 million a year or something around that and they could get him for that, I think it'll be higher than that. Like maybe, maybe there's a chance he comes back. But it just it just doesn't make sense to, to pay him when – you have to figure out the offensive line. You have to figure out the receiver position. You're going to have to pay for a backup as well. It's just, it's really hard to see any way that he ends up being back here, especially when some teams are going to think, well, the Jets have a pass wrestling rotation. So, you know, Huff's only playing, I think, less than half of snaps. He wants, he's made it clear he wants to play more than that and thinks he can be an every down pass rusher. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure he can be. But some other team is going to think he can and pay him accordingly. So it just it's not going to happen. And then the other guy is Mackay Becton. Uh, the Jets not obviously pick up his fifth year option, so he's hitting free agency, and he's not going to be back. I think it's run its course with him and the coaching staff. It hasn't gone well. I think both are looking for a fresh start. And again, some team will be willing to take the chance, even though Mackay has not been healthy throughout his entire career. He did make it through this season, missed just one game. I think he took a step in the right direction. I think he can, you know, now that he has a whole year of, of action under his belt, I think he can 
potentially. I, I, I see a team like I wouldn't gamble big on him because I think he's kind of been exposed for some of his weaknesses. But I think he will be better as the season goes on next year because he won't be playing a full season for the first time in, in three years or two years. So I, I think there is some upside there and, and some team will gamble on it, but it's not going to be the Jets because they can't afford to to put all their eggs in the Makai Becton basket and, and come up empty. They just can't do it. So um, there's too much baggage and, and too much at stake. So yeah, th- those are the two main guys for the Jets and I think they'll both be gone. And um, yeah, and shoot. I mean, if you talk about the four main guys for the Giants, I think they all could be gone. Barkley, McKinney, Adoree Jackson, Tyra Taylor. Certainly, I think McKinney's the most likely to stay. Uh, the other guys are, as we noted, expendable for different reasons. In terms of, of you mentioned touch on a Ford two, the Giants are 16th in cap space right now, according to over the cap. That's based on a $242 million cap. I mean, the cap could be higher, but it's going to affect everybody. So it's all relative. $19 million right now. The Jets actually are at one six. the Giants at 19-4, and, and the Jets are 21st in cap space. The Giants, like I said, 16th. Uh, we can mention this here because this is kind of the time of year that what teams do this. Like, what could what could these teams do to, to carve out more cap space uh, from a Giants perspective? I mentioned the restructures potentially that – Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence, maybe Bobby O'Karake as well. Uh, those would be those could create a significant amount of cap space. The biggest, you know, the main no-brainer cut is Mark Lewinsky. He's a goner. Um, there's no chance he's back. That would free up about five seven in cap space. But the the other stuff, I mean, they could get rid of Darius Slayton for six two, but he's you know he's a pretty decent receiver. Is not cap number seven nine? Do you keep him at that? That's debatable. Glowinski, not debatable. He's gone. Um, and those restructures probably fall in, into that kind of no-brainer mode too. So maybe you do that and you keep Slayton. Uh, how, how can the Jets – what can the Jets do to free up some more cap space here? Because they need to be able to at least operate. I know they're not going to necessarily splurge, but what do you see happening in terms of restructures or cuts and or cuts to um, to get them in better better cap health? Yeah, they're, they're, they can make moves. I mean, like C.J. Mosley is set to make – like his cap hit is – 21-5, yeah. but they can, uh, you know, they can, there's no guaranteed money on that. So I think the, what's going to happen there is they'll extend him. Okay. Yeah. About a pay cut, but with, but giving him some guaranteed money over the next two years, because he's still playing at a very high level. He's not, you know, the CJ Mosley was the best. They'll save some money there. Um, you know, uh, other guys, they, you know, John Franklin Myers, they, they can, figure out how to restructure that. They could extend DJ Reed, who has a $15, $6 million cap hit and, and spread out some of that to, to give them some more freedom this year. I mean, they can, there's ways that they can free up space. You know, what they're going to cut CJ Uzama uh, and that's going to save them. Yeah. Five, you know, three, six million, but, but yeah, we're five. Yeah. Looking at anyway, there's, there's ways for them. To Tomlinson. Do it. Will they cut Lake and Tomlinson or. Well, it's a tough one. Cause they, Joe Douglas made some decisions last year in terms of restructuring that makes it tough. Like when they cut CJ Uzama, it's going to come with a, a $5.3 million. I'm sorry. I was looking at the dead money. It's going to come with a $5.9 million dead money cap hit. And and same, same with Lake and Thomas. So they cut him. It's a $10 million cap hit with an $8 million save. There's $10.7 million cap hit with an $8.1 million savings. So, He's they've they're already carrying a lot of dead money into until next year, eighteen million right now, eighteen point three million as it stands because of Carl Lawson, 
6.3 there. Dwayne Brown, 4.7 million there. Jordan Whitehead, whose who's contract voided the other day, 3.3 million. Two mil, two million more on on Nicole Hardman. So, yeah, there, there's a a lot of dead money. There's going to be a lot more dead money, and and it's it makes things a lot harder. But they can, you know, free up enough cap space to make, you know, more than one major signing. But it's going to be at the expense of next year, and it's going to be tightening this window even further. Uh, so because next year is when Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and Brees Hall are all eligible for extensions. We're already at that point. So, um, good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to be a, a it, it's even more why they have to show something this year because next year is kind of going to be the last year that you can expect this team as it's currently constituted to go out there. I mean, I think if they're a contender, you can make an argument for pushing even an extension for Sauce Gardner back after next year. But if they're not that, that, if they're not on the doorstep, they're going to have to pay them probably him and at least Garrett Wilson. So um, it's, yeah, they're, they're in a weird, a weird spot because they have to find a way to, to do it now. And it's not, it's possible, but it's not going to be easy. And it's because part of the reason was because they they were so geared on last year going all in for it. and, And they kind of took that, you know, very win now approach for the first time and, and, but without going all the way in and now, now they're kind of in this in-between spot where it's there. It's tough. It's going to be tough for Joe Douglas to manage his off season and get it right. And, and he has to, as we've said multiple times before. And we'll, we'll finish up here by touching on the draft a little bit. As I mentioned, we'll do another one of these in about a month to preview the, the owner owners meetings and really more so wrap up free agency at that point we'll have a better idea of where teams stand in terms of their needs and not not just the the jets and giants but of course you know what other teams do a quarterback will will affect the giants um and so the combine of course as we mentioned is a lot about free agency but teams are there to assess draft prospects too and the giants will be looking at all the quarterbacks as they should be because we know everything I mean, just daniel jones and the whole thing jet as they say like gestures broadly daniel jones gestures broadly you know to use the the the, the meme as they say sir whatever that whatever that would be called um clever turn of phrase but um yeah so daniel jeremiah did a mock draft a couple of days ago he's he's pretty good you know he's one of the more like sane draft analysts he's really smart and sharp and so i think we you know we could just quickly review that in terms of like what might happen at the top of the draft and even though the jets are 10th they're they're right there at the top of the draft because um the giants being six of course so um so like what could happen in terms of the draft unfolding obviously free agency as we said will affect this you know we're still more than two months from the draft but because the combine is a draft event in in a lot in a significant way it's worth we're touching a little. Uh, so Jeremiah has the Bears taking Caleb Williams, and then the Commanders taking Drake May. No surprises there. He has the Patriots then at number three, um, and in this scenario, they go a veteran quarterback route. That means Marvin Harrison to the Patriots, when he'd be clearly the best overall prospect there available. So that means they pass on Jaden Daniels, which bodes really well for the Giants. Like I think if you see a situation where the Patriots take or, or sign a quarterback, I mean Joe Shane will be thrilled because that frees up a quarterback to fall to him because it looks like Arizona at four will not take a quarterback. And in this mock draft, that's Malik neighbors, the other LSU receiver. Then of course at five, there's no chance the chargers take a quarterback and they go with Joe Alt, the uh, Notre Dame offensive tackle. And that means Jaden Daniels in this mock from, from Daniel Jeremiah um, 
goes to the Giants at six. I think that's a no-brainer pick if he's there. If he's not, like if quarterbacks go one, two, three, which is possible, then the Giants could be looking at a situation where they could have a, their pick of a Dunze or neighbors because you go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The Cardinals take probably Harrison. Then the Chargers would take either Alt or neighbors or a Dunze, and that would give Roma Dunze, the Washington receiver. That would give the Giants the Adunze uh neighbors other guy there at uh a six or or you know look they could if 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 the chargers take alt that that has a dunze and neighbors still on the board at six for the giants so that's a lot i know but um but that this, this mock draft is like the the ideal scenario for joe shane like the the biggest problem with drafting six and having one too much down the stretch in these meaningless games with uh, with Tommy DeVito is that they box themselves out of the, the ability to pay, definitely be able to get a quarterback, but the Patriots deciding to, in this scenario, go the, the, the veteran quarterback route. Um, maybe they do, maybe they don't, that would, that would bode really well for the giants. Now, like what would they do at six if quarterbacks go one, two, three, I don't think they'd reach for one there. Uh, you could still get a really good receiver and then try to get a quarterback uh, with one of those two second round picks or trade up into the bottom around one. But moving on to the, the Jets. So moving down this list at seven, Tennessee um, takes the Penn State offensive tackle, tackle um, Fashuna. I, and then at eight, the Falcon. Fashanu, yeah. yeah. At eight, which is the guy that, the, that I'm sure the Jets would be interested in, as with Joe Alt, but I don't think Joe Alt gets to 10. Eight, the Falcons go JJ McCarthy. That's a that's high for him, the, the Michigan quarterback, which I guess by that logic, maybe Daniel Jeremiah thinks that if the Giants aren't able to get the top three quarterbacks, they could take McCarthy at six. I'd be interested to hear his take on that. Uh then Adunze at nine um to the Bears. Then another guy who's been widely mocked to the Jets, projected to the Jets at 10. The Oregon State offensive tackle. You, you know how to pronounce this guy's first name? The last name. The last name is Fuaga. Clearly, Talise Fuaga. Is that right? Talise, yep. Talise Fuaga from Oregon State. So, uh, yeah. What, what would you make of that? I kind of went on about what the Giants. Yeah, no brainer. If they get a quarterback, you move on from Daniel Jones after next year. You say goodbye. Uh, but what about the Jets there in terms of who they would prefer? Probably an offensive tackle, right? And like, which, that's probably the right pecking order. All the Penn state kid and then the Oregon state kid. Right. Yeah. I think this would be an ideal kind of way for things to work out for the jets as well as to have, you know, if, if the top receivers aren't going to be there and it's starting to look more and more like those guys are going to definitely be off the board before the jets pick. And then several other quarterbacks are taken three or maybe even four before then they're going to have a tackle there who can help them immediately. At number ten, and and that's what they need is an offensive lineman that can help them immediately. I mean, it just it just seems like the odds are that it could shake out that way for them, and they just need one of those top guys. You know, one one of those guys like like Fashanu or or uh, Fuaga. I, I can say his first name. I can say his last name. I'll learn. But you know, one of those guys to be available, and, and then that. Go ahead. The, the the Oregon State kid, Talise Fuaga, that's not a part of one. The Penn State kid is um Fuaga, yeah. Sorry. Why that's a tough one. I can't uh, say this person. Uh, yeah. I'm not gonna try. Olo, yeah, I'm not gonna but but yeah, that's where I think you know, that's why I think they need to kind of be aggressive 
in, in free agency and, and filling their needs and then it being available. And then if their guys aren't available there, they need to be ready to trade down, which they clearly weren't last year with Will yep. McDonald when they took him at 15. Like you can't let that happen again. You have to have a, a way to get out and it needs to be kind of figured out, I guess, before the draft. I know that's easier said than done, but you just, that's your job. You can't, you can't not get a guy at a position of need and make that pick. You have, you have to, get out of it if you don't, because they need guys that can help them now. It's not a, a, a question. So yeah, that that's, this would work out well for the jets. I think there's a good chance that, you know, receiver, we're seeing these guys make such a big impact early now that, that I think it's becoming this position that's rightfully so more valued early in the draft. And, and obviously we know that as the draft gets closer, these quarterbacks all, they only go one way on the board usually, and it's off. So uh, there, there's a good chance, I think, that the Jets can get that offensive line piece that they need. And, and they also have a level of flexibility there because they can keep Elijah Vera Tucker at guard or kick him out to tackle. And that gives them flexibility to maybe solve their problem in, in free agency cheaper by by getting a guard who's – of starting caliber, which obviously is less costly than than signing a tackle, which would help them with their cap space situation and then address the tackle situation in the draft. I think that would be the ideal situation for the Jets. And, and that's the only way you can justify not trading down. Good point. Um, and then obviously they have to protect an aging coming off a torn Achilles, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Fuaga pick is, is framed here by like, by Daniel Jeremiah says he calls him a plug and play right tackle. Okay, so is that so? How would how do you view that? Would you put Fuaga as your left tackle and Vera Tucker at right? Because Vera Tucker's been he's played on the right side, he's played right tackle. Or do you put Fuaga right and then Vera Tucker left? Uh, this is all presuming Becton's gone. What's the plan? Say they draft Fuaga. What's your plan then at at both tackle spots? Where does Fuaga play and who plays the other one? I don't have I haven't done the research in terms of like where Fuaga Fuaga's record on on versatility, but we know Vera Tucker can play at both sides because he's played every position but center in his career, and he's played all of them at a high level. So I, I mean, I think you you put whoever you draft where they're most comfortable, because if you're drafting a, a tackle in the top ten, like, and it's a, it's a guy who's a left tackle, you've, you've you believe he can be your left tackle of the future. Sure. So if it's if it's if it's that situation, you you put Vera Tucker at right tackle, and now you've got, you know, hopefully the the Vera Tucker injury thing is now becoming an issue. Both of them are kind of freak injuries, but you know, it's happened two years in a row now. If it happens again, it's you can't count on him. I think we're still before that point, but and the Jets have to assume a level of risk because they have too many holes to fill not to be able to assume a. a some risks. So I think that's a, a smart risk to take that you bank on a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker. And I think that's the way you, you kind of attack this thing. He does give them that flexibility though. So if they don't have what they want there and they trade down to the middle of the first round and get a guard there, if you're drafting a guard in the middle of the first round, you're going to expect him to to be your guard of the future as well. So I, they, they have the flexibility to get this done, but a lot has to go right. Um, you mentioned flexibility as it, as it pertains not only to, to what you were just referring to, but also 
you just previously mentioned Vera Tucker's flexibility, the ability to play either tackle spot. And as you were talking, I quickly looked up something Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah said about Talise Fuaga. Um, and the quote is there, he said, there is no limitation. I guess he meant there are, well, there are, if we're going to be a nitpicky, there are no limitations on Fuaga playing either tackle position. So Daniel Jeremiah thinks that this kid can play either tackle spot. And as you said, Elijah Vera Tucker potentially could play either tackle spot. So that is another, um, certainly example of flexibility, um, which in that case you put, you put Vera Tucker at left because it's a more important position. He's more established. He's obviously proven he can do it at that level. Okay. Gives him some, um, which all good and ideal, but as we know, um, from the giant, from the jets injury lock with Vera Tucker and with Becton, uh, ideal is not always something you can bank on. Um, when you have a, you know, when you have, when you could not necessarily bank on a pick working out. So for whatever reasons, injuries or whatever. So, um, yeah, as, as we've seen, the Jets and the Giants have not <laughs> always gotten the ideal situations out of their draft picks recently. Um, but yeah, so we'll leave it with that. Um, appreciate everybody listening and be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe to uh, us on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And as usual, nj.com slash jets, nj.com slash giants for all sorts of coverage leading up to free agency, the draft, the combine. Andy will be there. I'll be covering it from home. Um, he'll be lending a hand with some giant stuff, and I really appreciate that, uh, uh, him doing that. And so, yeah, we'll leave it there, and we will be back with you um, not quite that We did about a month and 11 days since our last one. It won't be that big of a gap. Probably almost about a month from now because we're, we're both flying out. At least I'm flying out on Saturday, March the 23rd to Orlando for the owners meetings where not only pretty much I think is the case, I think for the Jets and Giants and almost all teams, the owner will talk, the GM and the coach, definitely the GM and the coach and almost uh, and the owner usually too. So you get all three of the big guns there um, in Orlando for uh, the, I guess the NFL annual meeting as it's called. Um that runs from essentially the 24th, Sunday, the 24th of March through the 27th, that Wednesday. And so leading up to that, leading up to the, you know, the March 23 departure, we'll do another one of these. So less than a month. And at that point, we'll have a better idea of what these teams have done in free agency and, and where things stand for the draft and how these rosters will take shape entering what will be a hot seat year, as we as we mentioned, for both Robert Sala and Brian Dable. So appreciate everybody listening, and we will be back with you uh, at that point. And everyone have a good day and good week, and I guess good month until we until we talk to you again. Take care.